you stand for the reading of God's word? In John 3, verses 1 through 21, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one else could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, said Nicodemus? You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How, then, will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. The word of the Lord. Do you ever wish that you could experience an important or critical conversation that occurred in your life over again? That you could go back to that intimate conversation and kind of relive that moment? Or maybe it's a historical conversation that took place that you're aware of where lives were changed as a result. For me personally, I think of the very important conversation that took place on a walk that I went on with Beth, where we decided to take the plunge and start dating. My life has never been the same since. I also think of the conversation that took place between J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis on Addison's Walk just outside of the campus of Oxford. That night, late at night, Tolkien, a devout Catholic, encouraged Lewis, a devout atheist, to consider that maybe there was a true myth, that maybe the story of Jesus actually was true. 
And that all the myths that seem too good to be true actually are rooted in one story that actually took place. Two days later, in the sidecar of a motorcycle on the way to a zoo, Lewis decided to give his life to Christ. Another one of those conversations where I wish I could have been there and listened in was this conversation that took place between Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus points Nicodemus to the reality that in spite of all he quote-unquote brought to the table, he needed to be born again. He needed to be renewed and refreshed, and that that longing that is at the core of our humanity, that longing for fullness of life, of new life, is only and ever met in Jesus. At background, this conversation, I want to point back to the story that Greg preached on last week. Recall that Jesus, in Jerusalem, came into the temple courts and with a whip of cords, drove out all the money changers and those who were selling doves and animals in that part of the temple. What Jesus did in that act was a radical statement in opposition to the Sadducees, the Jewish ruling party at the time. Jesus was saying the way they were treating his father's house as a marketplace was not right. And there's even something deeper he's speaking to. You see, the Sadducees, the ruling party of the time, were in charge, and they loved that power and authority. They had authority over the temple and kind of the religious rites and movements of the time. But the Sadducees did not believe that there was eternal life, that there was anything after this life. So when Jesus drives those leaders and their marketplace mentality from the temple, he's making a significant statement against the way they're practicing the Jewish faith. So in one sense, we shouldn't be surprised that a Pharisee like Nicodemus would come to Jesus and want to interview him because he just drove out or spoke against the other ruling party. It's like the Republicans saying, yeah, you just set those Democrats straight. But Nicodemus experiences something much more significant in this nighttime conversation. And I want you to experience it or enter into it a little more deeply through this presentation. Have you come here to show us a kingdom? That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? (laughs) I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, and she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? 
nature of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize His effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes. And I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. But have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students that she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. And here you are. The healer. Follow me. And 
to see more. Are you? Join me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I, I, I can't. You have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? a nomadic life to to give up who I am it's true there is a lot you would give up but what you would gain is far greater and more lasting it's just another one of your born again mysteries <laughs> maybe I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar fifth day we leave and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter at dawn. Is this is the kingdom of God really coming? What does your heart tell you? My heart is swollen with fear and Tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground. <laughs> holy roof. <laughs> I do hope you come with us, Nicodemus. yet to watch any of the Chosen series, uh, I commend it to you. Uh, It's powerful in its depictions of Jesus' life and interactions uh, like these. That interaction began with Nicodemus coming to Jesus with his questions. And what we can say is there's a process of discovery of coming to Jesus with our questions. For Nicodemus, he came with his questions as a man of the Pharisees, a member of the Jewish ruling council who came to Jesus at night. And this evening interview is the first of a series of individual encounters between Jesus and people who fit descriptions given at the end of chapter 2. People who would see miracles and wonder what they were about. They also receive an invitation of faith, an invitation to follow Jesus like Jesus just extended to Nicodemus. 
Next week, we'll see the interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Later, there's an interaction, a certain view of who Jesus is and what he can do. But in each case, we see that meeting Jesus face-to-face changed their views, but not just changed their views, it also changed their lives. Wherever Jesus went, changes occurred. He challenged systems and powers and individuals. He helped people see what they couldn't see apart from him. He invited men and women to follow him, and he expected them to drop everything and do just that. And to our surprise, many of them did. It's still open and available. If we're listening, we can hear it in the darkness and in that interaction with Nicodemus. An invitation to come out of our own attempts at righteousness and reaching God ourselves and allowing God to reach us. The Judaism that Nicodemus and Jesus both knew at the time of his day had a good deal to do with being born into the right family. What mattered to Nicodemus and others was being a child of Abraham, being an Israelite. But now Jesus is saying that God is starting a new family in which this ordinary birth isn't enough. You need to be born all over again, born from above. For Nicodemus, this had to be hard to receive. He was a Pharisee, a member of the most uh, conservative Jewish sect, a traditional uh, Jewish teacher. The Pharisees separated themselves from everything that was non-Jewish. So for Jesus to say he was now reaching the world was a tremendous paradox for him. Nicodemus was also a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, made up of 70 of Israel's religious teachers. So Nicodemus had religious authorities and essentially came with the best religious credentials. But now Jesus invites him to lay all that down and to receive what he had to give Nicodemus' interest in Jesus had been prompted by the miracles that he had witnessed, and he came for an interview to obtain more information. His approach shows that he is cautious but open-minded and ready to receive new revelation if he becomes sure of its genuineness. Nicodemus was a searcher, and he believed that Jesus had some answers. A learned teacher himself, he came to Jesus to be taught. And he shows us that no matter how intelligent or well-educated you are, we must come to Jesus with an open mind and heart so that he can teach us the truth about God. Nicodemus came to Jesus personally, although he could have sent one of his assistants. But he wanted to personally interact with Jesus. He went to examine him and see for himself so he could separate fact from humor, rumor, I should say. Perhaps Nicodemus was afraid of what his peers, the the Pharisees, would have said about his visit, so he came to Jesus in the dark. But perhaps he just wanted an uninterrupted time of conversation with Jesus, knowing that during the day there are many people that crowded around and vied for Jesus' time and attention. Nicodemus knew that he wanted to have one of those intentional, life-changing conversations. And so he did. 
Nicodemus' life becomes transformed in this interaction. Later, in chapter 7 of John, and uh, Nicodemus is able to proclaim that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He comes to Jesus' defense. And later, G- Nicodemus is one of the ones who is part of Jesus' burial. He was willing to identify with Jesus' death because he came to believe that would be the source of his life. So what are some of the qualities and characteristics that make up Nicodemus here and his searching heart? It's marked by several characteristics, including humility. If Nicodemus had all this religious background and credentials, he had to lay those down, so to speak, admitting that he personally needed what Jesus had to give. There would also be a need for perseverance and overcoming obstacles that might keep him, keep us from finding and following Jesus. He reflects the need for insight and recognizing the gospel message relates to him and it relates to us. There's a willingness to submit to the lordship of Jesus, to recognize that Jesus had something to offer him and offer us that is totally different from anyone else. And there's also the call to obedience That if this is really true, if Jesus is really who he claims, and if he has to offer what he says he has to offer, there's no other source of salvation. There's no other way to God. So when Nicodemus comes and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher that comes from God, he is making an initial profession. He needs Jesus to teach him. He believes that Jesus is of heavenly origin coming from God. But Nicodemus really has no idea fully yet who Jesus is because he's not just somebody who would teach Nicodemus. He would be somebody who would lay down his life for Nicodemus. And what Jesus had to teach wasn't the way, even as much or more fully that he himself is the way. Other religious teachers might have a way of life that they present to us, but only Jesus claims to be the way and the truth and the life. That moves us from simply receiving his teaching to recognizing that we need to receive himself and what he has to give And as the adventure of this conversation continues, Jesus tells the truth in answer to Nicodemus. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. He goes on to say, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water in the spirit and that we must be born again, that the wind blows wherever it pleases, and we don't understand it, cannot grasp it, but so it is with everyone born again. Of the Spirit. You see, Nicodemus came that night anticipating the arrival of the kingdom of God at the end of history. The uniqueness of Jesus' message and mission was that that kingdom was alive and well and at work in him. It was available right then. It was a now, even as it was also a not yet, that would be experienced in the fullness of one day when Jesus comes again. But no one can see the kingdom of God apart from Jesus' work. What he's saying to Nicodemus is unmistakable. It's not because Nicodemus is Jewish, not because he's a pious Pharisee or, or a part of the Sanhedrin. No, relying on his own religiosity or his own merit will not enable him to see the kingdom of God. 
God's kingdom and his fear of rule and influence, the rule of heaven, can only be experienced if we lay down our own attempts at reaching God and recognize that what we deserve is eternal death apart from God, aside from Jesus' intervention. Nicodemus had a sense that God would be coming with his kingdom, that the, that the earth and heaven would ultimately become one and would be ruled by God, and, and there would eventually be a restored earth with an incorporated people of God. But he had no idea that the only way you could experience that was by experiencing eternal rebirth. Jesus' words to Nicodemus are totally unsettling. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I love the way the chosen depicts it. Nicodemus says, are you saying I need to enter my mother's womb again? Because that would be a problem for me. My mother has passed on. He's thinking in physical terms. He hasn't caught the spiritual analogy. But what Jesus is saying, rather, is we need to experience an internal renewal, a rebirth and renewal akin to being born into life, but this in a spiritual way, a spiritual rebirth where we lay down our own lives and attempts at reaching God in order to receive the transformation and rebirth that only he can give. I love the way in the scene Jesus reaches out and touches Nicodemus. And says that flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, your own attempts, your own strength, your own knowledge is not enough to get you in. What will get you in is what I can do for you. To cleanse you externally and internally, spiritually. And to enable you to experience a radical new birth. Nicodemus' countering question is, how can anyone be born after he has grown old? Can one enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus says a second time, you must be born again. That without new birth, one cannot see or enter into the kingdom of God. And in those words, millions over the centuries have experienced an invitation and a sense that there must be an exchange that takes place, changing out our attempts at reaching God and allowing us and receiving His reaching out to us. You see, this being born again is allowing Jesus to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It is about a do-over. And many of us know we need a do-over in life, that we need to start over in a sense because of sin we've committed, mistakes we've made. But we also need a a do-over, need to start over when we realize that our own religiosity sometimes gets in the way between us and God. That our own works are like dirty rags compared to God's righteousness. I love uh, the movie City Slickers. And if you remember the movie City Slickers, uh, Billy Crystal's character is relating to Daniel Stern's character. And Daniel Stern's character's life has been a mess. Uh, he's uh, committed adultery. He's, he's, he's just, his life has run off the rails. And Billy Crystal looks at him and says, do you remember when we played games as a kid? And Something happened that didn't go right, and somebody just yelled out, do-over. He said, life can be a do-over. It can begin again. And the invitation to be born again 
is to experience a do-over in life. Uh, I golf probably twice a year. It usually comes from an invitation from one of you as a member of the church who golfs regularly. And uh, if I take myself seriously in golf, it's just a mess because I I think, oh, I'm better than I really am, and I'm not. Um, But one of the kind invitations that often is extended when I'm golfing with somebody who golfs regularly is when I shank one way off to the right and it's going to be a total mess, the person will often say, why don't you take a mulligan on that one? Why don't, you, why don't you have some grace for yourself and experience a do-over? Some uh, members of our church that still listen to our live stream often, Dave and Noreen Bundock, uh, lived uh, right off of the, one of the golf courses in, uh, in our area at the Alta Sierra Country Club. And they lived on the right side of, I think it was like hole seven or eight, And if I ever golfed there, and Dave knew I was golfing there, he would show up around the time that I was on that hole, and he would come out with a whole egg carton full of golf balls that had been shanked into his yard. And he said, essentially, these golf balls need a second chance to, to, to accomplish what the golfer's trying to accomplish. Like a mulligan in golf. Like that starting over, doing over. There is an amazing invitation extended here, friends. An invitation to experience new life. A do-over. And sometimes we need that do-over because we've been trying so hard ourselves to reach God. Nicodemus was one of those who had been seeking to live his own life in relationship with God. And Jesus is saying, let's be done with that. Let's lay down that attempt and allow me to wash you and to give you new birth. The being born again that Jesus speaks about is about water and the Spirit. Paul would say something similar in Titus 3.5 where he says that he, 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 he saves us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This is about baptism, our external washing away of our sins, that sign and seal of our washing of our sins, but also the internal reality of experiencing that new life again through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. It's an inside job that God does in us when he sends us his Spirit. This reality had been spoken of in Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. There the prophet said, God is saying through him, I will sprinkle water upon you and you will be clean. And I will spend my spirit, give you a new spirit that I put within you. That promise of the prophets was now coming true. We could not just experience an external washing of our sins, but an internal life change as a result of the movement of the Holy Spirit in our life when he does that new work within us that, that we need, each one of us need him to do. If Nicodemus didn't understand the analogy of new birth or through the washing of water and, and of the Spirit, Jesus tries a second time and transcends, uh, uses an explanatory analogy to Nicodemus of talking about the wind and its essential mysteriousness. Essentially what he's saying is the new birth is from God and it is a supernatural work beyond human control or exhaustive human knowledge. Like the wind, despite its mysteriousness, its effects can be experienced firsthand. 
In other words, you know when you experience it for yourselves. There are times when we may be in prayer talking with God, and all of a sudden there's a movement of wind. There have been many times where I've been at my daughter Kylie's graveside in Santa Rosa, sitting in prayer, crying tears, missing her, and all of a sudden there's a rustle of wind in the trees, and there's a sense that God is real and present. Perhaps that night, during that moment in the midst of the conversation, as the chosen depicted, a soft wind rustled through the leaves outside the house where Jesus and Nicodemus were meeting or in the garden where they were talking. Jesus uses the analogy of the wind to depict the effect of the Spirit present in a person who is born again by the Spirit. You see, God's Spirit lives and moves and can come into our hearts and our lives and ultimately transform us from the inside out to make us new creatures. Paul would say, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And isn't that what we long for? That new life? That life that is new and different from what we've experienced in the past, where the past pain and sadness is washed away and we experience a a new birth? That new birth is not about our religiosity, It's nor even about any one specific analogy. The adventure of life and faith that Jesus affirms is about who he is as the Son of Man and what he does for us. We are told here that he is the one who came from heaven. He is the Son of Man who must be lifted up and that everyone who believed in him may have eternal life. Jesus is saying, trust me. I came from heaven. I I know how to get there because I came from there. And much like someone who might give you guidance or direction to get somewhere because they've been there before, Jesus is saying, I am the only one who has already been to heaven, who has now come down to earth and can show you the way back to heaven. And guess what? That way back to heaven is me, he says, and what I will do for you. It's always important that we interact with people who are investigating Jesus kind of on their terms and on their turf and how they would consider things, analogies that might make sense for them. And so what Jesus does then is point to the Old Testament. And he says that according to Numbers 21, 6 through 9, when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, God sent a plague of snakes to punish the people for their rebellious attitudes. But God also sent the remedy for the poisonous snake bites. He told Moses to erect a pole upon which he would attach a bronze snake. And that if anyone looked at that snake, they would be healed and cleansed of that poison. Similarly, when we look to Jesus on the cross, we find the source of our life and the remedy for the poison of sin. The Red Cross took up this image. The Red Cross's oldest uh, image uh, for, for its uh, existence is one of a, a cross with a snake wrapped around it. The image is from this picture of Scripture where, where Moses was told if, you, if your people look to that snake and, and that pole, you're going to be set free from the poison of sin that you've experienced. 
So now Jesus takes that picture and allows it to lead the way to speaking of his work of salvation on the cross. Jesus will be lifted up, literally lifted up from the earth and put on the cross. And yet if we look to him, we see the face of God's grace and mercy and the source of our forgiveness and freedom and new life. Jesus is, in his sacrifice on the cross, the way to life in him. And if we look believingly upon him and his sacrifice, we will experience eternal life. The phrase eternal life, of course, occurs 15 times in John, as does life, used in the same sense without the adjective. God's love is such that this God wills life and not death for all those who believe in his one and only Son. And all this leads up to that central verse of Scripture. Both boys, before they went to bed last night, do you remember John 3.16? Yeah, Dad, that they usually ask me for the first word. What's the first word? For? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, the adventure of life and faith begins. We recognize that true spiritual life is a gift of God that we cannot earn or deserve. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's not by works so that no one can boast. For Nicodemus, that was the message he needed to hear, and maybe that's what you need to hear. It is not by works. It's not by your good deeds. It's not by your actions. It's not by any of that so that you could boast. It's only by God's grace and mercy. But that grace and mercy is the foundation of his creation. For God so loved the world that he created us, but he also sent Jesus to save us. And the entire gospel comes into focus with this verse, that God doesn't just love certain individuals, he loves the world, and he ultimately expressed a love that is not static or self-centered, but reaches out to draw other people in. Paul would say it similarly in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The adventure of life and faith then culminates in that Jesus affirms that those who believe in him may have eternal life. They shall not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. They are not condemned. To believe means to not only put our in, make an intellectual agreement, but it means putting our trust and our confidence in him, that he, Jesus alone can save us and that he is the one through whom the adventure begins and ultimately finds its fulfillment. The choice, church, friends, is this, to trade your life and your attempts to reach God in for his, to experience a great exchange, Jesus' life and sacrifice for your sin and shame. Isn't that a good trade? It's the best trade. It's an unfair trade because we don't bring anything to the table. But God brings his very self in Jesus. Friends, God's plan and design for you is life. But all of us have departed from that life and our sin and brokenness. The good news is God can restore us and redeem us and bring us to that new life again, not just in the future, but in the here and now.
My question for you in closing then is, how would you describe your own personal experience of coming to Jesus? What was that like? Was it slow, maturing? Was it sudden? We each have different aspects of our story, but in each of those stories, there's a central thread. God's intervention and his transformation and a story to share with other people. And so even as you reflect on your own journey with him and your own adventure of accepting him, I also want you to think about a person who needs to know and to hear about Jesus. Plan to spend some time with that person and look for opportunities to tell them about Jesus and how he has changed your life. For the gospel is good news. You don't have to work your way to get into heaven. God has done everything to work his way to you. And through accepting and believing Jesus, new life can begin again. And if you've never accepted Jesus, if you've never welcomed him, my encouragement to you is to do that today. To just say, sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And please, come into my heart and life and allow this new life to begin again. Let's join in prayer. God, you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And we thank you and praise you for the invitation to life eternal through Jesus. Thank you that you loved us enough to send your one and only son to die for us on the cross for our sin. And that if we accept you and welcome you, new life can begin. So we acknowledge our sin once again, Lord, and say sorry for the things that we have done or left undone that displease you. We say thank you. Thank you for being willing to be lifted up. Thank you, God, for being willing to send your one and only son to die for us. And please, come into my heart and my life and make all things Lift up our voices in praise.
this high. Praise God. Jesus is waiting, God so loved. 